My youngest niece, her name is Ellie. I have three nieces and they're all my favorite, but she's my favorite youngest niece. And uh, we had a problem when she was really, really young. Uh, the problem was she didn't like me. <laughs> she was scared of me, I guess. I mean, it, it was just, it was, a, it, was a, it was a real thing. She would do things like every single time I walk into the room, she would cry. Or every single time I walk in the room and she wasn't crying, she would run. Or if I walk into the room, she would hide behind someone else. And she didn't have this problem with anybody else. I guess it was just a trust issue there. I just have a face that people don't want to like. I don't know. And so I'm just like, ah, well, she's my niece and I love her and I want her to love me back. And so I wanted to do what I could do to build this trust. Has anyone ever been in this boat with a little kid? Um, men with beards have this problem. I've, I've seen this. I see a couple of you bearded men like, yep, lumberjack problems. Um, so I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to just lie down and take this though. I'm going to get my niece to trust me. And so I got with her mom, my sister-in-law, and we devised a plan. You can use this plan too if you need it. Okay, two words, fruit, snacks. That's, that's the plan, okay? But it has to be gradual. And so I, I talked to her, like, this is what we're going to do. And then we moved forward with it. So this is what you do, okay? She's sitting at the table. You walk up. You just place a fruit snack in front of her. Walk away. Don't expect instant gratification, okay? You, you got to wait on this thing. She's playing in the living room. You walk up. Place fruit snack next to her leg. Walk away. Don't turn around. Don't make eye contact. Don't expect a lot of praise. Just give her the fruit snack. So I do this for a couple of weeks, and I start to see, obviously, she takes the fruit snack. And so then I get brave. I start looking back. And so she's like, give me fruit snacks. So I build up the confidence. I build up the trust, and then I'm ready to take the next big leap. So it's a couple weeks later, and we're out at a football game, and uh, I had a whole box of Welch's fruit snacks. By the way, I think they're the best. And, uh, I, and I, I decided instead of just giving her one fruit snack, I'm going to give her a whole package of fruit snacks, right? So I just walk up, same plan, whole package of fruit snacks, walk away. But I also know she's like two years old at the time. She can't open a pack of fruit snacks. Guess where, guess where I come in? Yeah, so she, she takes the fruit snack. She like looks at it. She has this like internal dialogue. I'm sure it's really deep. And then she's like... And she like holds up the fruit snacks to me as if to say, she of course didn't ask me, she just holds them up and uh, as if to say, will you please open these fruit snacks for me? So I do. So I open the fruit snacks and I give it back and she's like, starts eating them. This keeps going on, okay? The trust builds, but something happened last Christmas. I just want to celebrate. It's Celebration Sunday, okay? So I have to celebrate something. Last Christmas, I'm sitting at my in-law's house, I'm sitting on the couch, have not a fruit snack on my person. And Ellie walks up to me with a book. She climbs up on the couch and she sits next to me. She hands me the book and she goes, Uncle Chris, will you read me this book? Boom! Trust restored! And I'm in! All right? And ever since then, it's been growing and it's been building. So, if you need to build trust with a toddler, fruit snacks is the way to go. Uh, I talk about trust this morning because I want to spend some time on a subject that is probably the most foundational to our faith ever. You look through the whole Bible, this is a topic that you've got to have some understanding on. I've been using the word trust, talking about my niece. More commonly, we will use the word faith. And today I'm just going to use faith and trust interchangeable. I think for our brains, faith is a word that kind of has a lot of like maybe baggage or we don't fully understand it or maybe we think we understand it, but trust we get. Like trust is like I'm going I'm to do this because I believe an outcome is going to happen. And so faith, trust, more specifically, what does it mean for me to have faith by truly trusting God. So that's the question I want to explore today in this series that we're in week two of this series called Dangerous Prayer. 
The whole concept of dangerous prayer is this. Uh, you know, when we pray, or, or if you pray, and I hope it's something that you work on, that when we pray, our prayers tend to be pretty safe. I mean, we're constantly praying for, Lord, protect me. Lord, uh, make me comfortable. Lord, make me prosperous. Lord, make me healthy. And these are good things. Jesus himself tells us to ask our Father who loves us and wants good things for us to ask for these things. And so it's okay to pray for the safe things. But I want to ask you, how often do you pray, Lord, challenge me? Lord, stretch me. Lord, grow me. Lord, change me. These are dangerous prayers. It's the reason why when you talk about patience, people say, well, don't pray for patience. You know, because patience is something like, I mean, I don't want to pray for patience because if I pray for patience, maybe God's going to put me in situations where I have to practice patience and I don't want that. It's inconvenient. It's annoying. I don't want to get better. So, but why wouldn't we want to be patient? Patience is one of the greatest virtues there is. It's one of the most godly virtues there is. But it's a dangerous prayer to ask God to help me find patience. And there's a whole list of these things. And I said last week, we could probably do like an annual series called Dangerous Prayers. And we could just go through all the different things that we could pray about and God could build us in. But this this year, we're just going to do three. And they're kind of like entry-level dangerous prayers. Last week, we looked at our very first one. It was from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. And the challenge last week was to write down that prayer on an index card, fold it up, put it in your pocket, and pull it out every single day and try to pray this prayer. And uh, did, did anybody try that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I did. I tried. I think I prayed it every single day. I woke up a lot of mornings and it was on my heart. The prayer was, Lord, search me or search my heart. That was the, the dangerous prayer. But the whole nuance of the whole, you know, psalm is, is basically this. Lord, search my heart. It tests my thoughts. Reveal my offenses and lead me in the way everlasting. So that's like a little four-part prayer that if that's all you get out of this series is those four lines, it will dramatically increase uh, your closeness to God, your holiness, your spiritual walk. So that was the first dangerous prayer because when you say search me, that's like opening a door to your heart, to your mind. Come on in, God. Do your work. Today's dangerous prayer is uh, it's a paraphrase from a scripture we're about to look at, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. This is today's dangerous prayer. It has to do with trust or faith, and this is the prayer. Lord increase my faith. Lord, increase my faith. When it comes to living a life that honors God, there may not be a more valuable prayer. And it's a dangerous prayer. It's a risky prayer for several reasons. First of all, when I pray, Lord, increase my faith, I don't know if you think about it this way, but what I'm saying is I'm admitting that I'm I'm weak in an area. Admitting weakness is something we don't like to do. Lord, increase my faith, says I don't have enough faith, or I don't have enough answers, or I don't know what to do about something, and so I'm leaning on faith a little bit. It's also dangerous because it makes us, uh, it makes us basically say to God, challenging him to help us trust him, like put me in situations, like, like patience. You got to be in a situation where I'm not in control <laughs> to grow my faith. And then another reason why it's dangerous is that when our faith does increase, I'm going to go and tell you this, your life will change. So if you like your life the way that it is, you might not want to pray, Lord, increase my faith. Just as straightforward. I want to make sure you know this. Now, it's not going to be worse. 
It's going to be different though. Because the more God increases our faith, the more our priorities shift, the more we're more focused on like God things and not me things, your life will change. And this is a prayer that I've been trying to pray in my life in various ways for many years. But Lord, increase my faith. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's a good prayer. It's a worth it prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to step into the scripture where I kind of, I think we kind of find it the most clearly. And it's a story with Jesus. So if you've got your Bible, we like to look to the Bible every single week for lessons and things that God wants us to know. And so grab your Bible. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark today. Uh, chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. If you got a Bible, open it up, look it up on your phone. Or we've got free Bibles here by the door that you're welcome to use. Take it home with you if you need a good Bible. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 17 is where you find the story. And I got to give you some background because the story itself is pretty strong. But I want you to see where Jesus is coming from in this story. When we meet Jesus in the beginning of Mark chapter 9, he is going through like a literal mountaintop experience. He is physically on a mountaintop, and it's a really good experience. It's something we call the transfiguration. I'm not teaching on the transfiguration today. I want to invite you to go read about it this week and see what questions you have and see what you learn from it. It's pretty cool, but here's the synopsis of it, is that Jesus is in a scenario where to a few people, Jesus is God in the flesh. That is the nature of Jesus. That's the story of Jesus, and that's how he's able to be the savior of our souls and deal with our spiritual problems and connect us with God because he is God. Yet during this short period of time, he's also fully human. He's born human. He cuts and bleeds and has to eat food and use the bathroom and go through puberty like the rest of us. He's fully human. But there's this one moment, at least one that we know about. I often wondered, like, did he transfigure more than once? I don't know. But there's one moment where he kind of reveals a more heavenly part of his nature. And a few of his disciples see it, and it's like, wow, it's a mountaintop experience. It's It's beautiful. And he's coming down off this literal and figurative mountaintop, and then he walks into utter chaos. Maybe you've done this, you had a really good day at work, but you also have kids at home. (laughs) So you walk into chaos. You're like, everything was great, and then what are you doing? Why is that on your head? Why did you hit your sister? Like, whatever it is. And so this is Jesus, okay? Mountaintop to chaos. And when we pick up in verse 17, the chaos lands on his front step. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that robbed him of his speech. We're talking about a demon here. A man in the crowd answered, oh, let's skip it again. So he explains it again. He says, whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So what we walk on is like halfway into a scene. I mean, this guy's brought his son. He's having this crazy thing going on. He's brought up to the disciples because I'm guessing the reputation of Jesus and his disciples has preceded them to this village. And they know like, okay, if you got spiritual problems, go to these guys. So they're trying, but they can't get this demon to go away. He's distressed. Now, the disciples had battled demons with Jesus before. And they knew that through the authority of Jesus' name, they could make them go away. Side note, time out. I don't know what you think about demons. We live in uh, what we like to think a really enlightened, progressive culture, and it's like, well, that's ancient stuff. Uh, I will tell you what I believe in a nutshell, and that is that the spiritual realm is more real than this realm, and that there are both good and evil spirits, and the evil spirits are against God, and they're out to hurt us. That might sound like a paranoid schizophrenic, but if you travel the world some, and you look through world history some, and you just tune in and begin to pray things like, Lord, increase my faith, 
I think that you'll begin to see like this is very real. Spiritual reality is a very big part of who we are. And Jesus affirms it and acts in it. So that's why I believe all that. I would be totally open to talking more with you if you've got questions about that. So they come to Jesus. What do we do? Jesus says, this is the end of verse 19, bring the boy to me. So when Jesus, when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. This is quite a scene. Mark does this, no favors with details. He's a very short worded author. But I want you to take a minute. Imagine being in a public place and this crazy scene begins to happen and this guy's just thrashing on the ground. This kid who's already been causing a scene because his dad's trying to get him some help said he fell to the ground. He rolled around foaming at the mouth. This is the reaction that evil spirits always have in the presence of Jesus. Uh, Have you ever had a small kid and they were playing at the park and then you told them it was time to leave? This is what's happening with these evil spirits. They know that they have no authority here. They have no stance in this person's life. And daddy has shown up and said, it's time to go. But they're going to do their little temper tantrum. And ki- now, this poor kid is, is uh, you know, victim of it. But it also shows the power and the authority of Jesus. And while that's going on, verse 21 says, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. In fact, it's often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Do you notice like the, the, the uh, uncertainty in this guy's kind of request? If you can do anything, have pity. I love Jesus' response, <laughs> if you can. I just think he said it with a little bit of like sarcasm. If you can, what do you mean? You know who I am? If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. The boy's father exclaimed, don't miss this line. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And it's this line that I really began to understand the prayer, Lord, increase my faith. What is it? Does he believe or not? Well, he does, but he doesn't know if he believes enough. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And maybe you felt that way. Like, I know, I know what I'm supposed to say. I know what I'm supposed to believe, but dang, life's hard. And I don't know, I don't know if I really believe, but help me in my unbelief. Lord, increase my faith. Um, it's a dangerous prayer this week. It's a prayer that's worth it. But I want to ask you a couple questions about that prayer. Uh, the first one is this. If you could have more faith... Would you want it? Not everybody's like super deep thinkers, so maybe you're like, okay, move on. But some of you need to process that. (laughs) If you could have more faith, would you want it? Because I think a lot of times we're like, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm actually pretty comfortable. Uh, I attend church regularly, and uh, man, kids are healthy, and we got electricity and hot water at the house. Nah. That's an honest question to wrestle with. (laughs) If you could have more faith, would you want it? And so here's a better question, maybe. What is faith and why is it important? Like, okay, should I want more faith? I've never really thought about that. I want to take a second to do like a, a little workshop on faith. I know a lot of you are note takers. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be three things you're going to want to write down right now. I've wrestled with faith in teaching faith. Like, how do you teach faith for, for many years now? And I've landed on what I think is like three definitions that are kind of like a three-part definition. 
They build. And so these three little lines are maybe, maybe could help you wrestle with that question in your own life. Like, do I even want more faith? And first, at the core, I think we have to define what, what is faith. So I want to remove religion, uh, God, Jesus, that kind of, what is just faith in general? And this is a definition. I didn't make up any of these. These are, I've picked these of different places. Is this, faith is the bridge between what I know and what I don't know. You don't know everything. You know some things. Other people know some things. But like we do a lot of stuff and we don't know what the outcome's going to be. So faith isn't just a religious thing. It's an everyday thing. Like if you drive a car, you use faith every single day. You don't know that every time you push your brake pedal, your car's going to stop. You don't know that. Do brakes always stop cars? They don't. (laughs) Sometimes they don't. But you don't know that. But what you do know is that like in your experience, every time you've touched the brakes, it stopped your car. Or even if you've had a few mishaps where brakes didn't work, like majority of the time. So you don't know if it's going to stop your car. But you do know that brakes stop cars. But you still got to do something. Faith is what bridges that gap. You, you get in cars, don't you? You use faith. So faith is a bridge between what I know and what I don't know. But today I want to specifically talk about faith in God. So let's take our next little step, what I think is a, a logical step towards this kind of faith. And this is another definition. So faith is knowing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he promises he will do. Process that. You might want to write it down. So there's some things that I don't know. There's some things that I know. Something needs to bridge that gap. I'm going to choose a loving God. Why? Well, because I believe he is who he says he is, and I believe he's going to do what he promised he's going to do. That's why I choose this God. Now, this is, a, this is kind of a, a caveat here because I think as like Southern Americans, and actually I know if you live in Wilmington, you're probably not a Southern American. You moved here from somewhere else. But if you like have been around church, um, you get it, it's like just expected of you. Like, you should just have faith in God. But we don't, because we don't know much about God, because we don't read our Bibles, and we don't know church history, and maybe you don't have a lot of friends. I'm painting with a broad stroke here, but I think I'm hitting on some good cylinders here. How can I know who God is if I never like tried to understand him? More, a lot of people who call themselves Christian could tell you a lot more about George Washington than they could about Jesus or Martin Luther King than they could about, uh, you know, Abraham. Because we've studied those things. So part of that second definition, can we just leave that back up there? Because part of that second definition is like, faith is knowing that God is who he says he is. Well, who does God say he is? And I've got good news for you. you got your whole life to learn that. Like, you don't have to know it all right now. But that's why we read our Bibles. That's why we listen to sermons. That's why we have conversations. So many times I've been sitting with someone and they say something about God that I didn't know. And it's from their experience or something they discovered in scripture or like learned somewhere. And it's so good. So the other question is, what does God promise he's going to do? Like if you don't know that, you can't have faith in that. But there's some great ways to learn, and that's getting into his word, and that's being in a community with people who are, are discussing it. And so that's that second half of that definition. There's some things I don't know. There's some things I know. I need to bridge it with something. If you learn more about God, you see his action throughout history, you can go, I can have faith in God because I believe he is who he says he is, and then he'll do the things he promises he'll do. Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, says it this way. This is uh, kind of the Bible's definition of faith. It says that faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Like there's, there's that gap. 
you need a bridge, right? So there's, but I've got a confidence in something that I hope for. I've got an assurance, even though I can't see it. Okay. I can believe that. I can find some solace in that. Okay, that's the second one. We could do a whole, you know, sermon series on these three definitions. But let's get into the third part of the definition. Therefore, faith is belief that leads to action. It's one thing to believe that brakes in cars work. I mean, I saw it on Wikipedia. I've watched NASCAR. Like, you know, like, there's some cars. They seem to be slowing down. You can believe that. It's a whole different thing to get in your car and get on I-40 and drive 70 miles an hour somewhere. In traffic. And other people in big old tanks are driving 70 miles an hour. Your faith is the action of getting in that car because you have a reasonable feeling that this is going to work out. (laughs) And if I need to slow down, I can, right? So really without action, there is no faith. There's a difference between knowledge and, I mean, the word belief kind of gets muddy. But there's a difference in knowing some stuff and doing some stuff. And there's actually a direct correlation between the two. The book of James says, like, I mean, you want to see my faith, I'll show you my faith by what I do. That's how you know my faith. Even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. This is James. Like, so, like, those demons that were throwing this boy on the ground, like, they weren't questioning Jesus' authority or his presence or his existence. They knew, but they weren't living a life that honored him. So it's that action piece that makes us honor God. See how this dangerous prayer, Lord, increase my faith, really builds to a place that matters because here's another passage I want to read to you. This is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the first half wasn't on here. That's, that's my bad. L- listen to this again. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, if you could have more faith, would you want it? The question is, do you want to please God? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's the action part. Okay, that's our workshop on faith. Uh, we've talked about faith a lot. If you've been in church much, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get this. But the challenge is... Will we begin to pray the dangerous prayer, Lord, increase my faith? The dad in the story, he had faith. He didn't know what to do about his son, but he did know that Jesus could help. So he took action and he asked for help. And then he said, I don't know if I have enough. I do believe. Lord, help me in my unbelief. What are you going through right now? What's hurting? What's difficult to trust God with? I've got a feeling God's been laying fruit snacks around for you all over the place. He wants you to trust him. But we have to eventually take the moment where we bring him the book. And we say, hey, I want to take another step here. I want to grow in our relationship. Lord, increase my faith. Every week I try to give us a challenge that we can take home and like really do. So... I want to get into this week's challenge, and this is the thing that maybe you want to write it down, put it on your mirror, stick it on your speedometer in your car, wherever you need to put it to remind you, because it's about this faith-building thing. Uh, this is our challenge this week, that every day this week, that we would intentionally take one step of faith, that you would trust God through at least one intentional action. This is about taking steps. 
And of course, you can take thousands of steps. I could walk to, you know, California from here if I wanted to, but I don't want to. <laughs> but if I had to, you know how it would start? Boom. And I'm started. It takes one step, and I might walk for a little while and decide to take a rest. Or decide maybe I've gone slightly the wrong way and I need to course correct, but it starts with one step. So every day this week, what I want to encourage you to do is to intentionally take one step. And what I mean is to take a step that, where you're trusting God. It's not trust unless it feels a little risky. What does this look like? Well, a lot of you are going to walk into work tomorrow morning. You're going to get to the front office or you're going to be at whatever place that you do business, right? And there's going to be a bunch of people standing around talking about their weekend or whatever it is. And here's a scenario. I've been in this scenario. Everybody's just talking it up and you realize you got a moment to drop a zinger. Oh, you could get that crowd laughing. But in order to make that joke, I've got to compromise my integrity. I've got to use words I don't want to use or I've got to be crass or I've got to cut somebody else down. Or I've got to get into a conversation I don't need to be in. Guess what? I've got an opportunity to take a step of faith and not say it. What? That's faith? I thought faith had something to do with like, you know, temples and priests and like big heavenly ideas. No, like we can't take the little steps. We're never going to take the big steps. And so when I shut my mouth and don't say that thing, you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, Lord, I trust you with my popularity right now. You're going to take care of my reputation. I might not get that laugh. I might not be known as the funny guy today. But I choose to honor you instead. See how that's a tiny step? You haven't fed hungry children in a third world country, but you've made a difference in your relationship with God. Or maybe you're working on your schedule this week, and you're like, I'm so busy. Like we all say it, right? I'm so busy. And you're just like, man, have you been able to spend time in your word to get to know what God says about himself and what are his promises? Have you been able to spend some time in meditation and just prayer and that solitude and silence that we've talked about? Like, have you been able to do that? Like, I'm so busy. You know what you could do in your step of faith this week? I'm going to iron out five whole minutes, <laughs> ten whole minutes on my calendar where I'm going to focus on my relationship with God. In fact, I'm going to do it three times. And understand, these are baby steps, but they totally count. They are totally increase my faith steps. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said a lot of really great things, but this is one of my favorite quotes by him. He says that faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. If you want to be a person that's going to honor God with your whole life, you've got to be willing to honor God with little teeny parts of your life, all the little teeny parts. Lord, increase my faith. And then when he does, something amazing happens. He transforms you. You experience less anxiety and less uncertainness. Because the, what are we anxious about? We're anxious about the things we don't know. <laughs> he can bridge that gap. He can step in that hole for you and say, I've got this. And you can say, whew, okay, I believe. But help me in my unbelief. And take one more step, and one more step, and one more step, and one more step. And it's all because of a little prayer that you commit to every day. So look for those intentional steps. I've personally seen this in my own life so many different ways. If I look back over the last uh, 20 years or so of my life, some steps were bigger than others. And I want to be frank with you. A lot of times I've stepped backwards. And I've tripped and fallen flat on my stupid face, okay? And so just know, like, that's part of it. If you're going to take steps, sometimes you're going to stumble. But the more steps I take, the more I see that God can truly bridge the gap between what I know and what I don't know. And it brings me peace, and it gives me purpose. 
And it drives me forward to be a light, be a light shiner in his kingdom. I could talk about a lot of different ways, but most recently, one of the biggest ways I've seen this is through this Above and Beyond campaign. And we've been talking about a lot of different things. I mean, we, guys, we bought a building together. I'm going to step aside here and talk about Above and Beyond. Don't forget, we're talking about faith. But this is huge. This is Celebration Sunday. We put it on the calendar months ago because we want to take a day to celebrate what God has done. And when we put that date on the calendar, Aaron Collins was on the team with me, and we sat and we picked the date. And I remember sitting with him being like, I mean, like, what if nobody wants to do this? <laughs> and we didn't think anybody would feel that way, but like, what if? What if it's not impressive? What if it's not exciting? And we had these vision nights and we talked about what God can do through our church together. And it's not just about money, but we said this is a financial part. And that's tender. We talk about people's money. They get all up in their feels about it. Everybody else in the world can talk about money except the church. We got to reverse that. We got to be generous first and good stewards of God's resources and then put them to work in this world so we can make a difference and let other people take those steps of faith. And so we put it on the counter. And oh my goodness, you guys have shown me faith. It has been incredible. And so uh, we had a moment where our leaders got together and, uh, and we decided that, that like, hey, we're going to make commitments towards this thing. So about, I think, 12 families got together. We prayed about it for a long time. And we had these commitment cards and we filled them out. And then I shared with you, like, we had a goal, okay? Like $400,000 would pay pretty much the whole renovation of the building. But we were like, That's, that seems like a little high. Uh, let's make our celebration goal $200,000. Um, anybody got an extra 200 grand you can just give away? No. Okay, the answer is no, at least if you do. Let me know if you do. Um, and you want to find a great place to put that to work in God's kingdom. But man, we were like 200,000. That'd be a, we would celebrate that. And they were like, well, what, what if we shot for the moon and said, let's have like a dream goal of $350,000. So we got together with just our leaders and those guys committed like dollars over the next 25 months towards paying down the debt, that's not the right number, down the debt um, to this building here. But then, the cat's out of the bag, you guys came two weeks ago, and you gave your commitment cards, and you added to that, so let's celebrate. Go ahead and put it back up there. This is the amount that we are at right now. $297,400, what? Can we praise God for that? And when our team sat down and said, like, uh, you know, what's a good goal? We were like, 200 seems all right. And y'all said, 300 seems better. And I know, I know because you have talked to me and others that you are, guys are sacrificing. You're taking steps. And what that shows me is that, like, you don't know a lot of things. You don't know what your bills are going to be next year. You don't know how we're going to do all this. But you're like, I'm in on what God's doing here. Now, we set a dream goal of $350,000, and that was like shoot for the moon. And you look at that number, you're like, well, I didn't quite get there. Uh, but I got something that I, I want to share with you. In, in addition to this, do you know that we're part of an amazing network of churches and individuals who love what we're doing here? I mean, around the country. Also, as soon as we started whispering that we were going to buy a building, some of you guys were like, oh, yeah, I'm in on that. And you started giving. I didn't know this number until last night. But in addition to the $297,400 that we committed over the next uh, 25 months, since January, an additional $95,256.46 has been given directly to that. I don't know how good you are at math, but let's look at the next slide, which brings our grand total to $392,000. 
655, there's a number there that shouldn't be there, and 46 cent. Typos notwithstanding, let's celebrate, what? Do you remember how much I told you renovation was going to cost? <laughs> Look, God is who he says he is, and he will do what he's promised to do. I'm going to tell you this. He hasn't promised that he's always going to give us all the money we need. He had never promised that. In fact, more often than not, he's like, listen, it's going to be hard, okay? It's going to be hard. You might not have a place to lay your head. Jesus lived as a, a homeless person for a lot of his ministry. Okay, so, like, but in this instance... Because you guys were willing to take step of faith and commit to this. You said, I'm in. And God said, I will honor that. And it's Celebration Sunday. And it's a beautiful thing that when we look at this, and here's the thing. Just this morning, a couple of you guys are like, hey, I didn't get a chance to turn in that card yet. Is it too late? No. <laughs> no, because we paid more than that for the whole building. This is just renovation, okay? Over the next 25 months, God's going to do some amazing, incredible things. We have been, in my experience, I've been in ministry for 20 years now, 22 years or something, I, the most generous church per capita that I've ever seen in my life. When people come to us with a need, it's almost always met. We're not a rich church. We're not a huge church. But God has done something in your hearts. And I want you to know that that is big. Because one of the biggest places we struggle for faith is in our finances. But when we begin to pray, Lord, increase my faith, he steps in and I think he shows us his presence in those moments. And what's really cool is, I heard this analogy this past week, that like if, uh, if all of us came to like a fire with, uh, I mean like let's say there was something on fire and all I had was a little squirt gun, like I was like, pss, 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 I can't do anything. And so when we come to like a number like this, I mean, I, I know I feel like a little squirt gun. I don't know about you. It's like, I don't know. Pss, 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 pss. But then when you get a whole bunch of people around it, and some of you guys are bringing super soakers, and some of you guys brought buckets, and everybody else has got little squirt guns. But when we combine our efforts together, God does something in his family and his community that we cannot do alone. And we got to celebrate that. And we got to be all about it together. And so... Um, I'm just thrilled. I'm so excited that God is doing these things. Lord, increase my faith. Now, stepping away from the money part. I know that some of you are just working on like daily stuff. That was an example that like in real time, God has shown us what happens with our steps of faith. But maybe for you it's some other area of your life. Maybe you're wrestling with a job decision. Maybe you're wrestling with a relationship decision. You're in a marriage that you're like, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. I can't make a blanket statement about that right now because this could be different for every single person. Maybe you got a child that's like going through some really hard medical stuff and you don't know a lot. And when I struggle with my faith, I do my best to return what I do know to what I do know. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. John 3.16 is a good one. God so loved the world that he came and gave his life, his only son, that if we believe in him, we'll have eternal life with him. Or in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And over and over and over in Scripture, when we're reminded that our God is for us and not against us. So whatever that gap is, can I just encourage you to just begin to pray, Lord, increase my faith. I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's a dangerous prayer, but it will change your life. Let's go to God in prayer.